We're testing, we're testing, we're testing the audio. And I have my little kitty here with me. Hello? Would you like to say something? Thank you for that. Okay. Alright, let's get on with this. Green, and you're listening to Help One Person Every Day, even if it's yourself, a mental health blog and podcast. Before I get into today's topic, hi, I'm happy to be seeing you again. First, I just want to say I'm recording this the week before the election. This is probably going to go out after the results have come out, so I don't know what the future holds for us right now, but I hope at the time of listening to this, no matter what's going on, that you are feeling as okay as you can be, that you're safe, that you're taking care of yourself, and doing what you need to do to get through the end of this crazy-ass year. With that, I also want to just pause. I want to encourage you to pause. I'm going to pause. Think about how you've been feeling lately. You doing okay? What's been kind of floating through your mind? What have you been thinking about? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you drinking enough water? Are you fueling yourself with good foods? Are you doing things that make you feel good, that make you feel alive? Have you been sleeping okay? Sleep is really important to our mental and physical health and functioning. And it's actually what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about sleep. I'm going to go into the details of how sleep works and its uh, functionality for us. And then we're going to talk about my favorite part, the fun part, dreams. We're going to talk about things like, why do we dream certain things? What's the deal with nightmares? What are some common dream motifs that people have? Why do I wake up tired after certain dreams? Why do certain people show up in my dreams? So we're going to answer all of these questions and more on today's episode of Help One Person Every Day. First, let's talk about how does sleep work? So sleep is a really important function, as I said earlier, and getting enough quality sleep is really essential to our survival and functionality. But the reason why it's so important to our survival and functionality is kind of a scientific mystery still. We do know that sleep helps us consolidate things that we learn and helps us kind of store new experiences into long-term storage. It can also even help us process new thoughts about things that we already knew that we kind of rehashed. Research has suggested that sleep is when our brain cleans itself. So cerebrospinal fluid uh, in our brain, it increases when we sleep and it kind of like flushes our brain out and cleans out gunk. So it could be responsible for cleaning toxins from our brain that build up while we're awake. Sleep also helps the body remain healthy and our immune system strong. Most of our sleep activity occurs within the limbic system of our brain and the brainstem. So these are the more primitive parts of our brain below what's called the cerebral cortex, which is where most of our personality and our thinking and higher brain functions are. What we do know about sleep, continued on, is that sleep is done in cycles. There are two basic kinds of sleep. We have rapid eye movement sleep, also referred to, and I'm going to refer to it for the rest of this episode as REM sleep, and non-REM sleep. 
which is just exactly what it sounds like. It's not rapid eye movement sleep. Each kind has specific brain activity waves and neuron activity associated with it. We cycle through all stages several times during the night, and each cycle, our rapid eye movement or REM period, is longer and deeper until we wake up in the morning. So the stages that usually follow when you sleep throughout the night are stage one, which is where you're falling into sleep. It's kind of light. Our body slows down, relaxes. Our brain slows down a little bit. This is also usually the point at which you, if you ever have this, you like get that weird falling sensation and like jolt yourself awake. I do that all the time. Stage two, it's slightly deeper, but still kind of light sleep. You relax further, your body temperature starts to drop, and your eye movements just stop. Your brain waves are slowing down with occasional little bursts or spindles of activity, and most of our amount of time sleeping is spent in this kind of sleep. And then we move on to stage three, which is deep non-REM sleep. It's what we need to feel refreshed. It occurs in longer periods at the beginning of the night, and then it kind of starts to shorten as the night goes on and our REM sleep starts to expand. This is where our heart rate and our breathing are at their lowest levels. Our brain waves are even slower. We're fully relaxed and this is the point at which it is most difficult to wake you up, basically. And then we move into the fourth and final stage of the cycle, which is REM sleep. So REM sleep occurs roughly 90 minutes into sleep when our eyes begin to rapidly move around under our eyelids and our brainwave activity becomes kind of wild. It becomes very similar to wakefulness. We have fast and irregular breathing, our heart rate and our blood pressure are near waking levels, and our muscles are temporarily paralyzed when we're in REM sleep. Most of our dreaming is done in REM sleep, but sometimes we can dream in non-REM. Memory consolidation and learning requires both types of sleep. Just before we're born, we spend a lot of time in REM sleep. After we're born, we begin our sleep cycles immediately in REM instead of through the first three stages. And then as we get older, we start to move into a more mature sleep cycle, which follows the normal stages that I described before. This is why babies sleep a lot with no evident circadian rhythm. Uh, they'll like sleep for a couple hours and wake up all day and night. They're sleeping frequently to consolidate information in REM sleep because when babies are first born, everything is new. They're constantly having to consolidate information because they're constantly being inundated with new things, new experiences, new information as they develop. That's what we generally know about sleep. Now let's talk about dreams. How do dreams happen and what are they? So everybody dreams. I know a lot of people that I've talked to in the past will say like, Oh, I never dream. Like, I just never do it. You dream. You dream every night, actually. Uh, on average, a young adult will spend about two hours a night dreaming, but we just may not remember them depending on when we wake. So usually if you don't remember your dreams, it just means you didn't wake up, like, immediately after having them. The amount of time dreaming decreases as we get older, and it can also be affected by things like medical conditions, medications, and how much you sleep. Um, it can even be affected by alcohol, which can reduce the amount of REM sleep and the quality of it. When woken up in the middle of a REM cycle is when we often remember our dreams. REM is mostly dream time, and the dreams that we have in REM are mostly are at their most vivid. 
Um, although dreaming can be experienced technically in all stages of sleep, it's uncommon to occur outside of REM and is more likely to be easily forgotten. Talking about how dreams happen and why we dream, uh, the short answer is we aren't sure why we dream or exactly how or why it happens, but there are a couple theories. So one theory is that it could just be a meaningless byproduct of the large amount of neuronal activity in REM sleep. Um, it's just random neurons firing off, and this would be an adequate explanation for why dreams sometimes are bizarre and make no sense. Another theory is that dreams are the mechanism in which our brain incorporates memories and information, helps us solve our problems and deal with our emotions, and this would adequately explain dreams relevant to the things that worry us or that we think about a lot, or even reoccurring dreams of our fears and experiences. The final theory is probably the most likely one, and it's that it's some combination of the two. So this accounts for both meaningful dreams and bizarre senseless ones. So let's talk about the physiology of dreams. Probably the one kind of dream with the most physiological response is nightmares. So nightmares are frightening dreams that often lead to some degree of us waking up. It's common to have had a nightmare, but to have them with regularity is a little bit less common. Nightmares can be triggered by stress, emotional upheaval, and trauma. It can also be caused by some medications or drug usage, alcohol, and even illness. So REM sleep, as I mentioned before, is pretty close to wakefulness physiologically. Our body is fairly alert. This is why it's really easy for nightmares to alarm us to a state of awakening in the middle of REM sleep, which often also interrupts our sleep cycle and can make us more tired can also make it kind of scary to go back to sleep if you're scared to have the same dream again. Um, nightmares with a lot of reoccurrence or regularity can have some negative health consequences. It can lead to things like insomnia, fatigue, even depression and anxiety. So you're also more likely to have nightmares if you have migraines, sleep apnea, PTSD, or clinical depression. Common nightmare themes are things such as physical aggression, interpersonal conflicts, or experiences of failure and helplessness. And in that same vein, there are night terrors. So night terrors are a very intense version of nightmares. It often leads to screaming or yelling and physical movement as we wake up. This means night terrors often occur during non-REM sleep, because during REM sleep, our muscles are paralyzed. So normal nightmares usually occur during REM. Night terrors could be due to a genetic predisposition, and they could also occur in those who have experienced trauma, and especially if they've developed PTSD. There's also sleep paralysis, or on the different side of the same coin, lucid dreaming, which could be its own episode, honestly. Uh, essentially, it's dreaming, or hallucinating, rather, while awake, um, and often it's while your body muscles are paralyzed, as if you're in a REM sleep. Um, it's associated with unusually high levels of brain activity, and they can range from, in the case of lucid dreaming, being extremely pleasant and feeling like kind of an otherworldly experience where you leave your body, almost, or be able to control your dreams and like the landscape around you. And in the case of sleep paralysis, it's horrible and terrifying. I have not personally had sleep paralysis, but I think I would be scared shitless if I did, so that's probably for the best. Um, 
a lot of people experience sleep paralysis, and the the counts I've heard of it are extremely scary. It's basically you see uh, some pretty horrifying things happening around you, or you hallucinate some wild stuff. Um, while your body is paralyzed, you cannot move. So, I always warn people who are interested in things like lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming can actually lead to sleep paralysis uh, as an unintended consequence. So, just be aware of that. So, let's talk about common motifs and meanings in dreams. Recurring dreams are very common. They usually contain threatening content and cause distress, unfortunately, so they're usually more akin to nightmares. Um, some research has indicated that common motifs of our dreams are often influenced by our daily life, which is somewhat unsurprising. So, in that case, they found that pregnant women dream more about pregnancy and birth, hospice workers dream more about caregiving, and musicians dream twice as often about music than non-musicians. The things and people we think about also influence our dreams, but sometimes even subconscious feelings and thoughts we don't really attune ourselves to can just show up. Daily life won't always immediately show up in our dreams. Sometimes it filters through later. It could be due to us processing or continuing to think about things. Or it just could be that we haven't really come to any new conclusions about it or thoughts. It's hard to pin down common dream motifs, scientifically really. Um, however, common themes that have been generally identified are things such as school dreams, being chased, sexual dreams, dreams of falling, dreams of being late to something, dreams of flying, dreams of being attacked, and dreaming of someone dead being alive, or vice versa. So, some research has found that by neural coding individuals, visual dream content can be predicted with about 75-80% to 80 accuracy based on what neural activity is occurring. So, basically, it's where they find out, you know, what neural activations are associated with certain thoughts or images in our mind. And by seeing what neurons activate while we sleep, scientists have been able to kind of look at what bundles of neurons have been activated or neural pathways and be able to relate them to an item or a thought or a theme, basically, which I think is super cool. The more introspective parts of dream interpretation, I'll say, are really hard to pin down to a science. Um, if you are interested in the more intuitive and spiritual side of dream interpretation, I definitely would recommend a book that I have, I keep by my bedside, uh, titled 1000 Dreams by David Fontana. It kind of goes into the history of what dreams have been thought of as. It goes a little bit into the science of dreams and how to get better sleep. And then it has categorically common themes and objects and occurrences of dreams and gives you just some interpretations of what that might be for you to kind of base it off of. It's not really scientific, uh, but it does kind of provide that information if you're interested in it. I think it's neat and fun, so to each their own. Historically, dreams have been interpreted in a lot of ways. Uh, they've been seen as messages from gods or spirits, otherworldly travel, or even reflections of our own consciousness. In the 20th century, early psychologists delved pretty heavily into analytical dream interpretation. Jung and Freud and psychoanalysis, Pearls and Gestalt psychology, and Boss and existential psychology, I think is how their names are pronounced. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. 
I've shamed my clinical and counseling professor if I mispronounced any of those. I'm so sorry. With that, uh, I want to move on to how to get good sleep and encourage good dreams, which is something somebody actually specifically asked me about uh, for this episode. So here are my good sleep and good dreams tips. One, avoid alcohol and sleeping tablets before bed. Both of them tend to repress REM sleep. And of course, avoid caffeinated drinks such as coffee or black or green teas. Herbal teas are okay. Chamomile tea is actually a mild sedative, so it can help make you sleepy. And if you want a little extra boost, add honey or some warm milk. Second, before bedtime, try to clear your mind of all thoughts. Try not to dwell on anger or resentment before bed. Acknowledge the thoughts as they come. It's okay if they come. You can't, you know, always help what comes to your mind. But anyway, just give them a look and keep scrolling through. Keep moving on. Third, reading before sleep is pretty good. Um, It's better if the content is more calm and contemplative than a racy thriller novel, I'll say. Four, relax your body with purpose. Tense and release all your muscles consciously before you go to bed. Or if you like, I like to stretch slowly before bed, kind of get my muscles loosened up. Uh, It tends to help. Five, this is a really important one. To me, anyways. Make your bedroom a safe space. Make your bedroom a safe space. Your bedroom should be your peaceful space of rest. Should be decluttered as possible. Should have nice lighting, nice calm lighting, not too harsh. Don't work in your room if you can help it. I know this is really hard with COVID, especially right now. Some people are having to work from their desk in their bedroom. But just especially don't do work in your bed. Don't do homework in your bed. Don't do career work in your bed. Don't read your work emails in your bed. Make your bed a place where you only relax or have sex. If we do work in the same space as where we're meant to relax and sleep, we begin to associate it with the feelings of work, and this stress can make it really hard to get a good night's sleep. Make your room a space that you enjoy being in and relax in. Decorate it in the way that you love. Make it feel calming. Make it feel like something you look forward to getting to at the end of your day. And then lastly, what I also think is super important and has helped me a lot, because I, you know, true testament, I have struggled with sleep a lot uh, throughout my life, and I still struggle with it a lot of the time, but a bedtime routine. Having a routine before bed can help so much. It's not even funny. Figure out what you're going to do every night before bed and let yourself just fall into that rhythm. Make it like your little sleep ritual. My bedtime routine, for example, is I'll start turning off certain lights. I'll start brushing my teeth. I'll do some skincare. Sometimes I'll stretch. I try to drink a lot of water because I am a cereal, like, wake up in the middle of the night with a dry throat and, like, have to chug water type of person. So I try to just, like, chug it all out so I just, like, don't wake up with super dry mouth and throat. I like to turn on my oil diffuser, usually with lavender oil in it, super calming. And then at that point, I either go straight to sleep, or I read a book, or I'll play a game before bed, or sometimes I'll scroll through calming content like ASMR videos, or like quiet cooking videos, and stuff like that. Honestly, I have been told it's best to avoid screens before bed. Um, A lot of people swear that you should, you know, turn off your phone, keep it away from you, whatever. 
30 minutes before bed and don't look at it. But honestly, it kind of helps me. It kind of works for me. As long as I'm looking at calming stuff, I try not to look at like stressful content or the news or anything like that. I try not to look at Twitter or social media if I can help it. I just look at like calming stuff, nice stuff. Um, or y'all even play like a little handheld game that relaxes me. I definitely have to avoid social media at all costs. Uh, because if I see charged or heavy content before sleep, it'll mess me up. But otherwise, looking at nice content on my phone before bed really relaxes me. Especially if I'm watching an ASMR video. So just find what you like to do before bed that helps you and make it a little ritual. This habituation will have your body starting to prepare you for sleep once you begin it. It'll get melatonin naturally going in your body and it'll make it easier to get a peaceful night's rest. Some other little tips and tidbits that I'll mention as well. If you can, uh, at a, once it starts getting dark outside, get some lamps, get some dim lighting going in your room, uh, turn off your main lights, and make your room kind of dimmer or darker as the sun goes down. This also helps our melatonin production because if we continue to sit in bright light through, into the night, it makes it harder for our body to get ready for sleep. Second of all, if you are looking at screens before bed, Definitely recommend switching on nighttime mode for your screen on your iPhone or getting a program that's called Flux for your computer screens on Windows. I don't know if it works for Mac, but for Windows it works. And it gradually, as the sun sets, shifts the light of your screen from like a bright blue toned light to more of an orange dimmed down light, which uh, also helps our body get ready for sleep. So. Today was kind of a short episode, it was just a nice little easy breezy episode about uh, a fun little topic. That's all I've really got to say for this week. I know it's like staunchly shorter than, than, uh, than last time's episode, but uh, this was just a nice little breather, I think, after having such a, a heavy load for the first go around. Next episode. I'm going to talk about uh, procrastination and productivity, which is so appropriate because just this past week, uh, my procrastination tendencies, full disclosure, uh, bit me in the ass, <laughs> which is not fun. Uh, but I try to maintain a certain level of productivity, even though it's definitely gone down with the global pandemic and working from home. But it's, it's getting harder to find motivation lately, and I think it's something that would be nice and important to talk about. I'm also hoping to have a guest next time to talk with me about this. I'm going to have my friend Kylie on, and we're just going to talk about how we try to remain productive. She is killer at it. She's a nursing student about to graduate. Shout out Kylie. But she's about to, to graduate with her, with her RN, and she is doing that while also being a patient care tech, working 12-hour shifts three, three days a week, which are killer. But managing to juggle both, she, she never ceases to impress me. So uh, she, I think she would be a great addition to have on to, to talk about productivity and tips to, to deal with procrastination and motivation and stuff like that. So if you have any questions about that, like, you know, tips you would desire on how to, you know, boost your productivity or your motivation that might work for you, let me know on Instagram. My Instagram is at help the number one person. Or you can email me at help the number one person by aria at gmail.com. You can also find me at my personal Instagram account at aria green bean. That's A R I A, green like the color, bean like the bean. 
And I also have a Twitter. I don't use it super often nowadays, uh, just because it kind of stresses me out, honestly. <laughs> but I have it. I try to post uh, uplifting and mental health-based content there as well. And you can find me there at Aria Green and then the number six. Hope you're having a great week. Hope you have a good November. Hope you have a good holidays into the end of your year. Hopefully I will be posting my next episode relatively soon. Uh, I'm trying to manage this uh, through my last month of my first semester of graduate school, so wish me luck on that. Again, hope you're all doing well. Please take care of yourself. And remember to help one person every day, even if it's you, especially if it's you. Have a good one. I'll see you next time.